Good morning. Beautiful fall morning, is it not? So thank the Lord for the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull up this uh, title slide, and then I got a couple things to say before we get right into our lesson. Title of the lesson is "Let Us Do Something Beautiful for God." Now, this is kind of the uh, before we get to the lesson. Our work for God is physical, financial, and spiritual. The reason why I mention that is because just recently we had a uh, meeting, men's meeting, and whenever we talk about the work here, we oftentimes break it up into categories. I'm saying this so everybody kind of knows and understands how we approach that. And as you think about the work here collectively, it falls into a physical category, a financial category, and a spiritual category. And whenever we talk about the spiritual physical aspect of that we talk about this physical location and what it takes for us to be able to come together and assemble now then having a physical location involves the financial aspect of that it takes funds in order to be able to do that those first two are motivated by the third but the first two also help in being able to conduct the spiritual aspect of that, the preaching of the gospel and so forth, the coming together for worship and teaching and all these kinds of things. So that kind of all works together. There's a physical, financial aspect, and then there is the spiritual aspect. Now then, the reason why I say that is this. <laughs> That's what's going on. In First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, and that was read to us this morning from verses 10 through 20. So, I'll pull up this introduction slide for the lesson there. First Chronicles, the 28th chapter and 29th chapter. David is king at that time, and he desires to build a house for God. David and the people then give to, so that the temple might be built. And then we ask the question, what is the motive for their great giving? Because what you're going to see there in First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, is this outpouring of support in the building of the temple. So three points that we want to take a look at this morning is, what's in your wallet? God owns it all. And then we are managers of his things. I'm going to go ahead and just pull up this first slide there and leave it there while we get into the lesson. What's in your wallet? That's kind of the first point. It was some, and I want to share with you where I got the idea for the title for this lesson. It was some 50 years ago or so when there was a British journalist who traveled to Calcutta and he wanted to do a documentary about Mother Teresa. And at that particular time, she was a little hesitant at first, but then finally she agreed that she would do that. And her final kind of thought about that was, if we're going to do it, then she said, let us do something beautiful for the Lord. Well, as I think about First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, there's something beautiful that takes place there in First Chronicles, the 29th chapter. When David is king over Israel, and then collectively with all the people, they give this great contribution for the building of the temple. So to help us to understand kind of what's taking place there in First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, then I ask three, these three questions here. 
what's in your wallet. It all belongs to God and that we are just managers of His uh, of His things. So the first point being, what's in your wallet? Have you heard that? Have you heard that phrase before? What's in your wallet? And can you identify? I asked my wife this. I said, you know where that came from? She thought about it a minute. She said, yeah. In America, we think a lot about stuff. We think about getting stuff, having stuff, accumulating more stuff. We even store our stuff. The storage industry in this country is a $12 billion a year business where people store their stuff. The comedian George Carlin once said, houses are just piles of stuff with a covering over it. There's a lot of truth to that. And so we think a lot about getting stuff, having stuff, leaving stuff for our kids, when we pass on, sometimes marriages are destroyed because couples are torn apart because they're trying to accumulate more stuff. Sometimes kids are neglected and abused because the parents are too busy trying to get more stuff. And the Bible, the Bible says a lot about stuff, only it doesn't call it stuff. Modern translations calls it money. It calls it riches. It calls it mammon. But the Bible talks a lot about stuff. But I want to add this. God is not passionate about you and I having a lot of stuff. What God is passionate about? He's passionate about you. He's passionate about me. He's passionate about people. And the other thing that he's passionate about? His glory. That's why Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God is passionate about. So let me ask you. What's in your wallet? You know, that's a phrase that was used in an advertising blitz by a credit card company. They, in one year, they spent almost $285 million in pushing that phrase. And after they had done that, and they're still doing it, they said that has been hugely successful. And that there is now a 98% recognition rate with that phrase. 48 million people now carry their credit card. What's in your wallet? And so how is it that First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, kind of fits in with that phrase? Well, First Chronicles 29 is talking about when David decides that he wants to build the temple, the contribution that he is going to give. And then the people and the outpouring of the contribution they give in support of that temple. Something physical. Something financial. 
Something spiritual is involved in that equation that is taking place there in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter. Before I get to that, I'm going to say this phrase one more time. You may get tired of hearing this by the time I get finished today. But I'll say this one more time. What's in your wallet? And then I want you to think about this. You and I both have the same thing in our wallet. And I'll explain that as we go along. In 1 Chronicles, the 28th chapter, David is king over Israel. The nation is at its height. David has been richly blessed. The nation has been richly blessed. David is crazy rich as king over Israel at this particular time. David lives in a palace. But there's something that is weighing heavy on his heart. And the thing that's weighing heavy on his heart is this. While I, David, king over Israel, live in palatial surroundings and enjoy all the creature comforts of the day that they could provide, God dwells in a tent. And David thinks, this is not right. The king lives in a palace and the God over it all dwells in a tent. We need to do something about that. So David's desire is to build a house for God. But God tells him, no, you're not going to be the one, David. And he gives him his answer. He says, because you are a man of war and you are a man that has shed blood, you are not going to be the one that builds my house. But your son, your son Solomon, he will be the one to build the house. But what God does for David is this. He gives him the plans for the temple. It's similar to when God gave the plans for the tabernacle to Moses when he was on the mount and he said make sure you make all things according to the pattern and so God gives David the plans for the temple and David is going to give those to his son Solomon for that house to be built but this it's where 1 Chronicles 29 comes in David essentially said Glory, hallelujah, God is going to allow us to build a house. He's not going to let me be the one to build that house, but this is what I can do. I can raise the funds for that house. And the people can contribute to the building of that house. And so that's what you see going on in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter. In verse 1 he says, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, who alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but it is for the Lord God. So David says, this is not going to be for man. This is for the Lord. This is for the Lord God. And whenever he says that, that's something to keep in mind. So as we stop and think about this facility, we think about where we are. We think about the furnishings that we have. We think about us coming together. 
We think about classes that we teach. We think about all the effort, energy, financial support that we give to this. It's exactly the same as what David said is going to take place there. This is not for man. This is for God. That's where the spiritual aspect of that comes into that equation. So what David is saying is, that's the desire of his heart. And that was his attitude. And that's what motivated him. And so David is the one in 1 Chronicles 29 about verses 6 through 9 who kicks off the giving. But then the people see what their king does and they follow in that pattern of giving to the Lord. And it is some, as someone suggested, a snowball became, a, became an avalanche as they contributed to the building of the temple. It's been stated, and correctly so, what takes place in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, this is the largest one-day giving ever. Ever. Beginning at verse 6, 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. It says, Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darius of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the house of Jael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord and King David also rejoiced greatly. Giving to the Lord and it says that was their attitude. David rejoiced. They rejoiced. What became known the world over as Solomon's temple the funds to build it one day. One day. It is estimated because nowadays we think in terms of money oftentimes, right? It has been estimated that on that day it may have been something over a hundred million in that time, the equivalent of what was given that day. Gold and silver and iron and everything that was necessary. And so you stop and you think. So they were going to build the temple. This is a big undertaking. It's going to require a lot in order to accomplish this. So how was it that the people were so motivated to give to the building of the temple. They weren't coerced. They weren't begged. They weren't guilt-tripped. They weren't browbeaten. 
They weren't pressured. But it says they gave willingly with whole hearts and they rejoiced. David and the people. This huge offering to the Lord. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever sat in a worship assembly and either been pressured, guilt-tripped, brow-beaten in order that people might give? You ever been there? <laughs> I've been there. I've heard preachers do it. I've heard. I've sat on the pew and I've listened sometimes. But on this particular occasion, that's not what's going on. And they give wholeheartedly and they give willingly. And it's the hugest one-day contribution ever. And we ask ourselves, how did that happen? The answer to the how is found in another question. And the other question is the one that I've already asked you. What was in their wallet? Because if you answer that question, then you know how that happened. First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, and verse 16. O Lord, our Lord, o Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. So what's David saying? What David is saying is it all belongs to God. And when David and the people finished giving, that verse right there is a part of the prayer that David offers on that occasion. Look at verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. What David just said. Everything, heaven and earth, belongs to you, Lord. And you're the king over it all. So you know what David is saying? I may be king, but he's king of kings. And in this kingdom, where I'm king, he's really the king. He's the king in this kingdom. And it all belongs to him. So David is saying, I know who the real king is. I know where the real throne is. And I know who sits on that throne. David knew who was king in his kingdom. That's what he's saying. So we think about us as humans. And I say this especially to men, but women are included in this too. I like to think I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> 
we like to think about what we do, don't we? And we like to think about what we've accomplished. And we like to think about what we've accumulated and all these kinds of things. And sometimes we may even be kind of trying to get people's attention say, look at what I've done, look at who I am. And look what I built and what I accumulated. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves this question then. Who's the king in your kingdom? Because David acknowledged who was the king in his kingdom. And where all of his blessings came from. So let me give you this illustration. I think most of us are probably familiar with, have heard of an author, writer by the name of Stephen King. You ever heard of him? Hugely successful, enormously wealthy, Stephen King. He gave a commencement speech at a college a number of years ago. And on that particular occasion, as he was speaking to the graduates, he told them a story about what had happened to him two years previous. He said he was walking along a country road. There was a van that came from behind him and hit him. And he ended up lying in a ditch, seriously injured. Glass in his hair. And he's like, am I going to make it type thing. And he said, for whatever reason, a few days later, he was thinking about that and thinking about what went through his mind at that moment while he was lying in that ditch. And he said, you know what I thought about? He said, I thought to myself, the only thing I have on me at this particular time is a credit card in my pocket. And he said, I thought... That does me absolutely no good. He goes, well, from that, I started to think about life in general. And he said, I thought this. He goes, you know, naked and broke, we come into this world. He said, now, when we make our exit, they may dress us up but we will leave broke. So to that graduating class, he said, this is what I want you to consider. I want you to consider your life and all that you have as one long gift. Because all that you are and all that you have is just a loan. None of it's yours. And he says, what you give back is the only thing that lasts. He said, everything else is smoke and mirrors. And so we think, what's in your wallet? Let me give you a hint. Haggai, the second chapter, in about verse 8. Haggai, the prophet, 
says the silver, quoting for God. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. I want you to listen to verse 14 through 17. David says, actually David prays. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all of our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the hearts and pleasures in upright and, and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy. I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. That's the truth that David grasped. That's the truth that they grasped. That's the truth that we need to grasp. David says that I have given willingly and generously. They have given willingly and generously because... They understand that everything belongs to and comes from God. So we're just giving back what belonged to you in the first place. And so that's the truth. That's what motivates their giving. It all belongs to God. And so whenever we think about that, we think about our life, we think about our health. We think about our homes. We think about our careers. We think about our intelligence. We think about our strength. We think about our children. We think about our friendships. We think about our fellowship. We think about our possessions. We think about our wealth. We think about our accomplishments. It's a gift from God. We don't own anything. Everything is alone. So now we ask the question, what's in your wallet? It's God's money. What's in your life? It's God's blessings. And when we get that, that's a life-changing perspective. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 13 and 14. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own, of your own, we have given to you. Who am I? What do I have? It all comes from God. And you know what that helps us to understand? That's the reason why we should never be jealous. And that's the reason why we should never be puffed up. 
Because whatever somebody else has, they have it because God gave it to them. And whatever we are, or whatever we have, it's because God gave it to us. We don't own it. God does. God gave it. Everything we have is on loan from God. And so God gives it to us for a little while. And He says, here, take care of it. So in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, verse 16, what David is saying is that it has dawned on him where this great giving came from. The abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and it is your own. And that's what explains the amazing response that these people make whenever David says that there is going to be a house built for God's name. So we're just managers of what God gives us. Verse 17 is really the key to David's entire prayer. It says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me... In the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all of these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. What's David saying? I understand that. You are the king in this kingdom. Everything that I have, everything that this nation is, has come from you. And I offer this in uprightness. And willingly back to you because I recognize it came from you. And now I rejoice because I see that these people recognize that also. And David says, I know that you try the heart. So in essence, what David is saying is money, talents, possessions, whatever it is, is all just neutral. The way we manage it shows where we are spiritually. And so when we stand before God, God is not going to ask you, well, what skills did you have? How much money did you accumulate? The question will just be very simply this. Out of everything I gave you, how did you manage it? That's the question. So I mentioned Haggai. And so when you think about First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, and you think about Haggai, the second chapter in verse 8, where through Haggai, God says, all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine. You stop and you think about that. This outpouring from David and from these people in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, this takes place, and you know how I talk about getting things chronologically straight? When David is king over Israel, and Israel is achieving its height, 
And David is king and he's immensely wealthy and the nation is doing extremely well and at this time they're one of the most powerful nations on earth and they're blessed. This is probably around 970 B.C. And David says, we know that you test the heart. God is going to see how are you going to manage the things that I have blessed you with. Haggai, the second chapter, is written about 500 years later. You know where Haggai is writing from? Well, he's writing from Jerusalem. But that temple that they built, that David gave the plans to Solomon, and this millions upon millions of dollars were given so that that temple might be built, You know what happened to that temple? It was destroyed. Because in the decades and the centuries to follow, they won't manage the things that God has blessed them with. And so ultimately, it'll be taken away from them. And so when Haggai writes, God has allowed after the captivity for a remnant of his people to return to the land. And they returned about 536 B.C. But by the time Haggai writes, it's the late 400s. They've been back in the land for a while. God wanted them to rebuild the temple. But they haven't done it. And so now through Haggai, what's he do? He tells them, the gold is mine. The silver is mine. What's he saying? First Chronicles was written, written at the same time as what Haggai writes. Why did God want it written at that time? Because he wanted these people to reflect on the past history and where Israel had been at one time. And when those people understood that everything comes from God and all that we have and all that we are is from God, when they understood that, then they gave back generously. And so what God is doing through the prophet Haggai is saying, I want you to think back. You want to be blessed? Then you need to understand where all blessings come from. And through faith, you once again start to serve God. You once, to start to, once again start to give to God. And when you have that right, and when your heart is right, God will bless you beyond measure. So the blessings that we have, they're not to be held on to selfishly. But what He has given us, we use to bring glory to His name. And when we do that, He blesses us. See how that works? So David and all the people, if they were asked that question, what's in your wallet? They would look in there and say, well, Everything that's in there, it belongs to God. 
So that's how I say the same thing you have in your wallet is the same thing that I have in my wallet. And you know what that is? It's God's money. You're holding God's money. I'm holding God's money. I'm holding God's talents. You're holding God's talents. And he just wants to know how we're going to, how we're going to manage it. It all belongs to him. And one day we'll give an account. That's what Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things we've done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. So how, we ask ourselves, how can we best use what he has given us for his glory? And so in the words of Mother Teresa, let us do something beautiful for God. That's the point. That's the lesson from 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter. David understood that. These people understood it at that particular time. That was the motivation for that huge contribution, the support of the temple at that time. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any that are all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to do that this very day. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God, not been living as you should. Everything that you have, everything that you've been blessed with, belongs to the Lord. And if you understand you need to give that back to His glory and you need to make your life right with Him, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.